Good morning. The reading for this morning comes from Psalm 90 and can be found on page 496 of your pew Bibles. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning and with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of your hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Please be seated and take a moment to reflect on God's word. I'm going to make a reference to Numbers chapter 20, and so it'll be helpful for you to find that in your Bibles near the beginning of your Bibles. Numbers chapter 20, and so it's helpful. We're going to be looking at Psalm 90 here pretty carefully, but I'm going to go back to Numbers 20. And I'm also going to go forward to Luke chapter 9. So I realize I'm asking you to do a lot here as the listener. But uh, if you just find a way to mark Numbers chapter 20 and Luke chapter 9 verse 28. On May 31st, 1963... Eleven days overdue, my mother gladly gave birth to a nine-pound baby boy and named him Paul Morgan Phillips. So, five, six days from now, I will turn 51, 
I know many of you are saying 50. I thought I was 31. How is it possible? But it is 51. And I'll celebrate my birthday next or this coming Saturday. In 1967, four years, a little over four years later, my father died while serving in active duty as an Army helicopter pilot. So on Memorial Day weekend, I pull out a few memories. I mean, as a four-year-old, they're just, they're like little snapshots. There's not much to remember at that age. A week from today, we celebrate the birth of Christ Community Church, Founders Day 2002. We started in March, and about three months into uh, the beginning, we had our first picnic And if you wanted to come to the church, you just had to come and bring a side. That was it. That's all you had to do to join Christ Community Church. You bring a side to the picnic and you can become a member. It was a really uh, high bar we set there in the beginning. But that was in June of 2002. And that was the first group of folks that we had as members of the church. So so these three events colliding, the, the nearness of of the day of my birth, the the Memorial Day, and uh, celebrating the the birth of Christ Community Church put me in a reflective mood. And so I've taken some time this week and uh, probably the week to come just to think, to think about uh, 51 years, to think about the events that have happened over my life, to think about the last 12 years. And then of course, when you're thinking behind, you're always sort of thinking ahead. What, what would the next uh, 12 years be like? What would the next season be like? And some, some might say I've been numbering my days, which is a good practice for your soul to, to number your days, to take, take these moments. It might happen around your birthday. It might happen around New Year's Day. Wherever the markers are for you, to, for me, it's just these uh, events have collided here together to cause me to number my days. And some Bible scholars read this same reflective mood into the Psalm 90, into the prayer of Moses, that Moses is at a particular point in his life where he's reflecting back and maybe looking a bit ahead. He's he's definitely penned this prayer near the end of his life. And some folks, some Bible scholars believe that he's penned it sometime after Numbers chapter 20. So let's just take a quick look at Numbers chapter 20 and see what's gone on in this particular chapter. When when we've arrived at Numbers chapter 20, uh, the, the Israelites have been have been called out of Egypt for some number of years. They're wandering around in the desert. And then we get to this very pivotal chapter in Numbers chapter 20, and you can see the very beginning of it. Let me just read it for you. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. So Miriam is Moses' sister. 
Moses' sister, if you looked back uh, maybe later this afternoon in Exodus 15, uh, they had just come through the, the Red Sea. They've just gotten to the other side. And Moses sings this song in Exodus 15. And then Miriam takes up a tambourine and she begins to lead sort of a dance and celebration with the other women as they stand on the other side. As you just could imagine, the, the water lapping up and they've just been rescued. They've just been free. And she's the one who who brought forth this great celebration, and now she's returned to the dust of the desert. If you look at the very end of the chapter, it bookends in a very similar manner, and that is the death of Aaron. You see that? It begins with verse 22. Aaron is Moses' brother and his mouthpiece, if you remember that uh, point. Moses was saying, don't send me, don't send me, I can't speak. Well, okay, we'll, we'll get your brother here, Aaron. And so Moses has buried his sister, and now he's burying Aaron, verse 20. And Moses stripped Aaron, verse 28, of his garments. They, they're up on this mountainside. And he gave these priestly garments to Aaron's son, and then just kind of in a, in a cold sentence, and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar, Aaron's son, they come down from the mountain. So at the beginning, Moses buries, buries his sister in the dust of the desert. At the end of the chapter, Moses buries his brother in the dust of the desert, and he's sitting down at the base of this mountain range. And in between, there's a critical event that involves Moses and Aaron. Uh, Moses was the leader of these people, and they wandered around in the desert. And uh, one of their constant complaints is, we're looking for water, we're looking for water. And they just didn't trust God that God would supply at the right time. And so uh, God says, Moses, I want you to take uh, the staff... And I want you to come to a rock and I want you to speak to the walk to, to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, when you just say what I want you to say, water is going to come forth from this rock and it's going to water this whole land and give water to these people. And so Moses and Aaron gather all the people together and they're looking at this rock face and they're going to speak to the rock. And, and this is going to be, the, the, this pouring forth of this water is going to be like the pouring forth of God's glory. It's going to be the way that everyone could say, wow, look at God, look at God's glory. And when Moses gets there, he makes a very fatal, fatal mistake. Look at with me at um, tw verse 12. And the Lord, uh, let's go back here, verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to the assembly, hear now, you rebels, shall we bring forth. Oh, what a small word with big consequences. See, Moses inserted we where there was supposed to just be me. It was about God. It was about God's glory. It's about God displaying his glory. And Moses and Aaron wanted to move in on God's glory and say, are we going to bring? No, no, Moses, we aren't going to do anything. I'm going to do something. 
And I want to make sure everybody knows it's just me. And what you're doing is you're crowding into my glory. And it was such a, a massive consequential thing that it cost Moses from himself going in and leading the people into the promised land. When you, when you step into God's glory, when you begin to take some of what belongs only to him and appropriate to yourself, it's, it's no small thing. And so Moses is sitting here, perhaps at the base of this mountain, and he's in this reflective mood. He, he's, he's buried his, his brother and his sister. He's seen the consequence of his own sin. And then at some point after this, these series of events, he writes a prayer that becomes Psalm 90. The, the goal, or maybe the apex of the prayer, now back at Psalm 90, is in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That you see it, the word so, it's a transition word, meaning, meaning all this information, all this stuff that I've said previously uh, as added to so that all, because all this is true. So now let me have the right perspective on, on my days. Let me, let me number my days because I want to get a heart of wisdom. And you and I want to have the correct, a correct perspective on God and our lives. You and I want a heart of wisdom. So I, what I want to do this morning is sort of just examine the trail that Moses takes. The steps that Moses takes to really gain a heart of wisdom. Because we want to have this same same heart. So let's look at several steps here. First, let's read one, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, so the first step toward a heart of wisdom is standing in awe of God. If you want to have a right perspective on your life, if you want to have a, a heart of wisdom, you have to have the right perspective on God. And the, the very first step is, is just standing in awe of God. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It's the first step. It's a step you cannot skip. You cannot put this step aside. The, the very foundation of, of wisdom is, is a, a right worship, a right orientation, a right awe. Of God. Real wisdom is never going to be measured by ac academic degrees. It's never going to be measured, thankfully, by your SAT score, your ACT score. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Real wisdom is not going to be measured on that. Real wisdom isn't going to be measured on age. Real wisdom is, is, is measured by who you worship. And real wisdom, according to the Bible, begins by the worship of the one true God. And, and just, just notice the language that Moses chooses to use. Lord, you have been our, our dwelling place. Think about this from Moses' perspective. He, he spent 40 years from birth to about 40 living in Egypt. He was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. He was an alien. And even though he got some preferential treatment because of his story, he always knew he wasn't like one of them. This wasn't really his home. And so after 40 years, he gets cast out and he's just a shepherd. He's just this nomadic shepherd out in the desert. 
And, and he doesn't even really belong there. He came from a place he didn't belong. He goes out to a place that he doesn't feel like he belongs. So for 80 years of his life, he's just looking for a place to call home. And then he's called by God to lead these people out of Egypt into the promised land. So he spends the rest of his life wandering, looking for a home. And then he gets to this particular point in his prayer, in this opening line. And he says, you know, when I when I reflect back, God. You're you're home. I've been home the whole time. Because where you are, if I'm there, then then I'm home with you. It's not a it's not a geographical location in which I find rest. It's a person. A, a couple of years ago, I was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which I had spent a few years as a kid there when I was maybe uh, first, second grade. I lived in Fayetteville. And I hadn't been back to Fayetteville for 43 years. I may be driven through, but I, I never went back and saw my old first and second grade home. So I happened to be in Fayetteville with my family. And I said, hey, let's go by and see my old home. So I went by to see my old home. And, and, it, and I, I'm sure many of you have had this experience. I went by and it sort of looked familiar. And I looked at the house and, and somebody was out in the yard. I drove into the driveway thinking no one was there and somebody's out in the yard. And I was like, hey, sorry, I, I used to live in this home. Oh, you did? You want to come inside? Awesome. So, you know, I walked back and I went back to, you know, the kitchen and the dining room and my bedroom and everything seemed so much smaller. And and I sat there in the driveway before we drove away and I thought I had all these great memories, first and second grade there. Some place I ran away from home first time. Not not that many times. I'm just saying. It was the one time I decided to run away from home and I just went to my next door neighbor's house because they had food. Um, but, you know, I sat there and I looked at this home and and even though I had all these great memories, you know what I felt? You know what I felt? This this isn't my home anymore. Why? I mean, it is the right geographical location. It just doesn't have the people there anymore. People is what made up my home. And, and Moses is saying, you know, I spent my life looking for this geographic location. And and really, the home is not a geographic location. It's a person. It's God. And, and God, I'm just saying, you've been my home. You've been where I found rest. You've been where I have found my safety. You've been where I've been able to find my soul. You're you're my dwelling place. You're you're my home. And then maybe he sits and stares at this mountain range, which looks like a, an ancient watchman watching over the passing of people and time. And he looks at these mountains and he says, you know, before these mountains were brought for forth, verse two, before you ever even formed the earth and the world from everlasting, you are from everlasting to everlasting. Before the mountains were, before you gave birth to the world, before time itself, you you existed. And so so Moses is numbering his days. 
He's asking us to, to number our days, to, to realize that our days are numbered. And, and the first step on this trail towards wisdom, this, the first step on this trail towards the right perspective is worshiping the God whose days cannot be numbered. That's the very first step. To, to realize that I have a very finite number of days and, and I need to have my attention focused on, I need to be worshiping the God whose days cannot be numbered. So that's the first step. The second step is, is we need to have a crystal clear clarity about ourselves. Moses starts out with, I'm, I'm first looking at God. I'm understanding who he is. And then the second step along this trail towards wisdom is Moses has a crystal clear clarity about himself. And, and maybe like picking up a pair of binoculars, you know, that you have to you have to focus each eye. There's two things he wants us to see about ourselves very clearly. Some adjustments that need to be made so that we can see ourselves. First is we have to have real clarity about our brevity. Look at verse four. For a thousand years, for a thousand years of our life, God, in your sight, seems like yesterday. I mean, a thousand years for God seems like yesterday. Now, there's, there's no way for God to really have any experience of time because he created time. And it's very hard for time-bound beings like ourselves to look at God and imagine what He's like outside of time. So the best that the, the, the writers can do is say, well, let's just say a day in your time is like a thousand years for God. Which, which for, for us, amazingly, that would mean that like two days ago, Friday, can you remember what you did on Friday? For God, that's like the incarnation, the birth of Christ. I mean, two days ago, that was, yeah. Three and a half days ago, maybe Wednesday afternoon. Do you remember what you were doing Wednesday afternoon? For God, that was like the days of Moses. Last Sunday, that was like Adam and Eve for God. So all of human history for God seems like a week. And so what Moses is trying to help us see is that our, our days are so brief compared to who God is. And that's one of the things that we have to have a, a crystal clear focus on. He, he says it here in verse 10. You, our, our years might number 70 or 80, but then they, they, they just fly by. They, they go by so quickly. Isn't that the phrase that you always hear from the person that's in the stage just ahead of you? Oh, oh you just graduated from high school, you know, your college years. You're going to hear this right. right? They're going to go by so quickly. So quickly, you, you, you just, you know, started your first job or maybe you just got married and all oh, those days, those early days, they, they just go by so quickly. I, I said it today already to somebody. Maybe if you're a parent of a toddler, you sit down with a parent of a teenager. A parent of a teenager, you know, what do they say? You, you have no idea. 
You have no idea how hard it is when you get into this place. So enjoy your days. That's what they say. Well, they don't all say that. But I mean, there's some sense of that. But then they say, but it does. It goes by. It goes by so quickly. And then Moses supplies these three visual analogies to help us understand verses five and six. This is what in God's mind, a day seems like a life seems like for mankind itself, not just your life, but for all of mankind. This is the way he wants to describe it. Now, before we look at this, just imagine what you would say if you went to the man on the street, you did this interview and you said to the man on the street, how would you describe mankind? Oh, mankind, uh, like a towering redwood. Ancient, towering above all other things that have been created. Or maybe mankind is like an impressive monument. Or if you're familiar with the poem Invictus, the mankind were master of our fate and captain of our soul. Where when you think about mankind, you think of master and captain. Well, let's look at God's view. Mankind, well, they're swept away like a flood. I don't know if you remember 2004, the tsunami that hit Indonesia. And I don't remember how many hundreds of thousands of people died across the, that part of the globe. But there's a relatively well-known video clip, and you might have seen it at some point, And it's taken from the perspective of somebody standing on the balcony at one of the, these resorts. And right before the tsunami hits, the water withdraws and then it rushes in and it it withdraws a little bit more than is normal. And so this man is walking out and he's going, wow, look at look, you you can't tell what he's saying, but he's walking out and the water keeps receding and he's got more and more. And he's just looking at these shells or whatever is uncovered. And then like a, a sweep of water. He never even sees that. Never he looks up, and you never see the guy again. That—that's what God's describing mankind like. Not just your life, but mankind. It's just—it just quickly like a flood. It just sweeps away, and then it's gone. Or you're like a dream, so real, so vivid. Some of you can say, "Yeah, I had a dream, real vivid dream last night." Well, what was it about? Well. My cat and some, I can't, you know, I can't, it was really vivid. It was super real, but the, the, the details are starting to get fuzzy. I can't remember because why it just goes by so quickly. It was so intense, tense at a moment, but then it's gone or like grass. What a, what a wonderful, uplifting image of mankind here. I'm so glad I came on Memorial Day. I got compared to grass. It flourishes in the morning and the evening it fades. In the desert, there's a, a certain kind of grass that when it rains, it springs up within within hours. But it rains and it springs up and then the heat of the day comes and it's withered. And Moses is probably looking at something like that and saying, that's what mankind is. They spring up and then and then it's gone. So so at the pinnacle of mankind's achievement or academic accomplishment or at the height of mankind's innovation or influence or the peak of his political or physical power. Mankind is still no more than grass. It quickly fades. And Moses tells us that 
one thing that we have to, to see clearly is our own brevity. So it might be worth just stopping here and asking ourselves a couple of questions. As your years fly by, whose glory do you seek to magnify? Whose name do you want to make great? Whose legacy are you trying to establish? Yours? That's here and then quickly forgotten? Or God's? The second lens, first one is brevity. The second lens that we, as we look at ourselves, we have to see is, we have to clearly see our own sin. In, in order to get a heart of wisdom, we, we have to have crystal clear clarity about our standing before God. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust. And you, you God, you say, return, O children of man, return to dust. You're returning mankind to dust. Now, now maybe Moses is thinking about Miriam and Aaron and returning them to dust. But, but probably he's thinking about Genesis chapter 3, the verses that he wrote himself in verse 19, when, when God speaks to Adam after the fall, and he says this, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since, it fr- fr- since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So, so Moses is remembering his own sin. Moses is remembering the sin of Adam and Eve. And, 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 and all of those sins, what did those people want? We want to be like, like God. I want to take something that makes me feel like I'm like God. That was the mistake that Moses and Aaron made. That was the mistake that Adam and Eve made. And so God is saying something here. He's responding by saying, now, now let me show you the big difference here, Moses, Adam and Eve. I see your sin and I will forever establish a, a term limit. That will remind you and your race that you're not God. I'm going to establish a term limit on you all so that you'll always know you're not God. And that term limit is known as death. So not only does he establish this term limit, he also says that he's going to be the judge at the end of this term limit. Let's look at verse seven. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. Verse eight, you have set our iniquities before you. You have set our secret sins in the light of your presence. See, there's there's nothing thought, nothing said, nothing done that is hidden from the visual light of the Lord. And so he's establishing this judgment this, this time. And so he says in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and who considers the wrath according to the fear of of you. Who does consider those things? A wise man considers those things. He considers that he's going to stand before the God of judgment. 
And so M- Moses is, is understanding that, that at moving at great speed is his last day. That the exit ramp is coming right for Moses. It's gonna, he's going to be swept off the, the stage of human history quickly. And he's immediately going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord. And he's going to stand and he's going to face judgment for all the sins that he knows and all the secret sins. He knows his life is brief and it ends with a face-to-face encounter with a holy God. See, that's what Moses is trying to help us see in his prayers. You have to understand who God is and you have to understand your brevity and your standing before God. So let's ask this final question. How can you tell if you're prepared for that day when you stand before the Lord? How can you tell if you've gained a heart of wisdom? A couple of verses I want to close with. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Notice the word for Lord is Yahweh, all capitals. It's not a generic name. He's calling out, oh, God, oh, Father, oh, Abba, oh, Dad, could you return? But come back. How? Come back with mercy, please. I know, I know I deserve wrath, but I'm asking you to come back. Come back with mercy and not wrath. Would, would you return, but return with mercy and not wrath? And then verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. Let your glorious power to their children. See, see, Lord, it's not about me and it's not about we. It's about you. And my days are quickly fading. And if you don't return with mercy, then then I don't have a chance. And so I picture Moses at this particular point. He's he's buried his his brother, his sister. He understands the limitations because of his own sin. And he's saying, Lord, I see myself. I see the trouble that I'm in. And I'm asking you, you're still my only hope. But when you come back, I'm asking at the base of this mountain, would you come back with mercy rather Then wrath. Fifteen hundred years later, Luke chapter nine, verse twenty eight. Fifteen hundred years later for God. How long is that? That's a day and a half. But for Moses, for us, it's fifteen hundred years later. Jesus takes Peter, John and James up to a mountain, Luke nine, twenty eight to pray. And while Jesus was praying, there's a change in his appearance. We call this the transfiguration. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, who was talking with Jesus? Who did make it into the promised land? Elijah and Moses. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus's departure, which he was about to accomplish Notice he's talking about his departure and he's going to accomplish something at this departure in Jerusalem. Now, I would like to have had a microphone on to record this little conversation. So I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't record it. But let's imagine that during this conversation, Jesus looks at Moses and said, hey, you remember your prayer a day and a half ago? Remember Psalm 90? Remember when you said, 
Oh God, please come, but come not in wrath, but come in mercy. Well, I'm answering that prayer right now. I'm coming. I'm coming in mercy and not wrath. I'm coming to give mercy and absorb wrath. And I'm going to accomplish it at Jerusalem as a hang between heaven and hell on a cross. So that everyone, Moses, I'm about ready to blow open the doors of salvation so that everyone who believes in me, they can come home. You don't have to live in the desert. You don't have to live in the wilderness of your own soul. You can come home. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice, open the door. I will come in. And what? They'll be home. You'll sit at the table with me. And so I think Moses is looking at this psalm and and I'm using the psalm to plead with you to come home. See who God is. See who you are. Understand there is a day. It's quickly coming. It's so much faster than you think. And then one day you'll be standing there and I want you to say, I came home. I didn't come to judgment. I came to mercy and grace and love. There's always an elder up here after the service. If it would be helpful for you to have somebody to pray with you, they'd be happy to do that. You can certainly contact me or somebody on the staff at any point. But this is the this in the New Testament. This is the day of salvation. This could be the day. Are you living for God's glory? Are you living for your own? Have you come home? Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for your servant, Moses, your mercy to give us one of his prayers. And what we've learned from it today to to have the right perspective on you, the right perspective on ourselves. And so thankful that you are coming and have come, not with wrath, but with mercy. Lord, I pray for these people here today that they would they would come home in Jesus name amen